If you have your copy of scripture, turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two. And uh, as we continue our series in Advent, we're dealing with four main themes in Advent, the coming of Christ. Uh, The first one was hope, today's peace. Then we'll have joy and then love. And really the, the central fact of everything that we do around Advent is the anticipation, anticipation and expectation of Christ's coming. Now for us, we live in this weird period where Christ has come, but we know he's coming again. And so we live in anticipation and expectation of Christ coming again. So what does it mean to be people of peace? In the Old Testament, the, one of the prophecies of the Messiah is that when Messiah would come, he would bring peace. In fact, we read in Luke chapter 2 where uh, at the birth of Jesus, the angels tell the shepherds to go into the city for unto you is born this day a savior and that there's going to be peace on earth and goodwill to men. And so what we really need to ask ourselves is what is peace? What does it look like? How do we know that we have it? What, it means, what does it mean to live in it? Now, what we're going to read today in the, uh, the Apostle Paul's writing to a church in Ephesus, uh, that's where the book of Ephesians come from, and they had a problem in Ephesus, they had several problems, but one problem they have is there was no peace in their church. There was no peace in their church because there were two groups at war with each other, the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews were upset that there were Gentiles, non-Jews in the church, and the Gentiles were upset because the Jews mistreated them. And one of the most difficult things that we have to find is peace. And we expect when we come to a place like church where we're centered on Jesus that we would be at peace, right? We think that this would be a peaceful place. But unfortunately, what's happening with this group of people is there was no peace. And so the Apostle Paul writes about the coming of Christ in the past and the coming of Christ in the future to bring peace to this war. And I think it has very powerful words for us today. In Ephesians chapter two, verse 11, we're gonna begin and read to the end of the chapter. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at the time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace." And might reconcile them both into one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace. Are you getting the, you getting the word here? He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who are near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. 
I love this because I think this comes at a very important time in our life and in our world. I think peace is not a word that I would use to describe 2020 or peaceful. There's so much division and hatred and fear and all sorts of things that are causing all kinds of problems. And yet Paul steps in the middle of this and he says, there's an antidote to all of it. And it's peace. But we have to ask the question, why does there seem to be so little peace in the world? If the promise that Jesus fulfilled being the Messiah is that he's going to bring peace and the angels when he was born said that there's gonna be peace on earth and goodwill to men, why do we not see that? Why does there seem to be so little peace in the world? Well, I think the problem is, like it always is, we, we've misdefined the word peace. And the way that we do that is we try to deceive ourselves and others that we're fine. Now, I want to tell you what that acronym FINE uh, stands for. My mom used to tell me this when I would say I'm fine. She would say, are you freaked out, insecure, nervous, and emotional? That's what it means when you're fine. Oh, I'm fine. I'm freaked out. I'm insecure. I'm nervous, and I'm emotional. And here's what we've done. We have traded being fine for being at peace. And here's, we say things like this. I'm fine just the way that I am. I'm fine. You're right, you are fine. You're freaked out, you're insecure, you're nervous, and you're emotional. So we, we have this idea that peace is never really gonna happen, that we're really not gonna get it. And so we've settled for much less. And here's what we tell ourselves, we're fine. I'm fine just the way that I am. I'm fine with how things are going in my life. You ever said that? I'm fine. I'm fine with how things are going in my life. And you all should know that when someone tells you that they're not fine. I'm fine. I'm fine that I'll just have to live with certain things in my life. Fine with that. Fine not finding victory. I'm fine not being happy. I'm fine not being at peace. I'm fine that my life may never be as satisfying as I want it to be. Fine. And so why, why does there seem to be so little peace in the world? Is because we've traded peace for being fine. We've exchanged what peace really is. Now, I wanna give you a definition really quickly because I think we misunderstand peace. We are looking for the wrong kind of peace. When we talk about peace, here's what we're talking about. We, we talk about absence of conflict. I want peace. I don't want any conflict or drama in my life. And when I don't have any of that, then I'll be at peace. Wrong. I don't want to be frustrated. When all the people that frustrate me and make me angry, if they would just stop, then I could be at peace. Wrong. I want my life to be free of insanity. 
Just the insane things that we go through every day in our life. And I'm gonna use this illustration and it's gonna date me. Most of you won't get it. But I remember as a kid, there was a, t- a TV commercial that came on and when it came on, I could just see it in my mom's face. It was the Calgon commercial. Do you remember that? The woman would draw a bath and she'd get into the bubble bath and she'd put the little thing over her face and she'd say, Calgon, take me away. Calgon, take me away. As if getting in a bubble bath and putting a rag over your face takes you away from all the insanity in your life. But we're fine, right? We're fine. We have the wrong definition of peace. It means more than the absence of conflict. It means more than not having frustration in our life. It means more than not having insanity in our life. The word that God uses for peace is shalom. And that word shalom means complete, whole, sound, safe, full, joyful, harmonious inside and out. Doesn't that sound a lot better than the absence of conflict? Doesn't that sound a lot better than no frustration or insanity in your life? God wants to bring shalom, peace into your life. Wholeness, completeness, soundness, safety, harmony. That's what he wants. And so the problem, the reason we don't see peace on earth, the reason we don't see peace in our church, the reason we don't see peace in our life is we're looking for the wrong kind. And here's the reality. True peace is both vertical and horizontal. True peace is both vertical and horizontal. Here's what I mean. You can't have peace horizontally until you have it vertically. You cannot have peace in your life until you are at peace with God. It doesn't exist. And so we want peace in all these horizontal areas of our life, but we don't want to be at peace with God. And this isn't just a one-time deal where we are at peace with God. This is every moment of every day. Being at peace with God means living by his commands, doing the things that he's asked you to do, living in holiness and purity. And when we are at peace vertically, you cannot help but be at peace horizontally. Peace is living in harmony with God. And when we live in harmony with God, that harmony flows out from us to everywhere else and we begin to live in harmony with everyone and everything. That's true peace. Now we get to verses 11, 12, and 13 and we hear that's not happening. The Jews were making a case against the Gentiles that they had no business being in the church because they're without God, they're without hope, they're a stranger, they're an alien, they don't have the covenants, they're not circumcised. And here's the reality. Paul says, if you're without God, you're without hope and you're without peace. And here's the funny thing in this whole scenario. Both groups thought they were okay with God and with each other. They sat in services each Sunday morning, both thinking that they're completely okay and both completely okay with how they were treating one another. It was completely justified for the Jews to be um, prejudiced against the Gentiles and say mean and hurtful and racist things. 
and it was completely okay for the Gentiles to do the same. Well, they started it. They hurt my feelings. Both thought they were okay with God and both were okay with how they were treating each other. And here's the realization. Look at what he says in verse 17. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and to those who were near. He doesn't come once to preach peace. He comes all the time. And here's the realization. Sometimes we can be far away from God and not even know it. Sometimes we can be sitting in a building just like this or we can be listening to worship music or we can be reading the word and we can be so far away from God and not even know it. But here's the truth. Whether we're near or whether we're far, he comes to preach peace. His message is peace. Remember, he doesn't want to take away conflict. It's not necessarily about, you know, dialing down the insanity in your life. He wants to bring wholeness and safety and purity. That's peace. One of the things that we need to begin is we're going to work through this and hear that Jesus is our peace and be anchored in that and understand how to live in that, we need to stop trying to convince ourselves that we're fine. We need to stop trying to convince ourselves that nothing needs to be changed. See, Jesus comes and he preaches peace and the, the, the message of peace is what you're substituting for my peace will not work. I do not want that for you because it's so much less and so I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to continually call you back to say, stop. Stop trying to convince yourself that you're fine. And start coming to me and find peace. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus... You who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. There it is. I, I hope you underline that. I hope you memorize that. I hope you really hold on to that because in those moments when you begin to cry and say, I want peace, I need peace, you need to remember, he is our peace. You have already been given all the peace that you'll ever need in your life. You've been given overwhelming, abundant, overflowing peace in your life. You've been given a peace that passes all understanding. You've been given peace that guards your heart and mind. You've been given a peace that will lead you and guide you through this life. Because you've been given Jesus. He is our peace. Now, what we're going to find out is he does two things. And this is what Paul is trying to remind the Gentiles and the Jews of in this passage. That two things happen when Christ becomes our peace. One is he makes peace for us. And we're going to talk about that for just a second. He makes peace for us. And you say, well, what does that mean? What, what kind of peace does Christ make? Well, Christ ends the war between God and us. 
And you say, well, wait, I don't know about any war between me and God. Well, there's a war called sin. And when we choose to live in sin and we choose to rebel against God, whether we think we're good people or not, we are at war with him. And Christ ends the war. He makes peace. He makes peace through the blood of his cross. He ends the war forever. So not only does he settle that and makes peace there, he makes peace for us, but now he begins to make peace through us. We're going to talk about that in there as well. And these two are linked. You can't have one without the other. As Christ settles the war with God and he makes peace for us, all of a sudden what happens is he fills us with peace because he's in us and that peace begins to come out of us and he makes peace in this world through us. Pretty awesome deal, huh? But Christ is our peace. And the first thing that you need to understand as he was speaking to the Gentiles, they felt far away from God. They were told they were far away from God. They were told that the, the way that they live and just their ethnicity and their background, all of those things kept them separated from God. And sometimes we listen to those bad things in our life too. Oh, you have this habit or, or this is going on in your life or oh, you've done this or you've thought that or you've experienced this, you're too far away. You've done too much, you've gone too far. And when you think that and when you feel that, you need to read verse 13 and listen to it again. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You don't have to fight for peace. You don't have to worry about peace. Peace has been given to you because you've been brought near through the Prince of Peace. Once you were far away, once you were a rebel, once you were an enemy combatant and Christ died and in his blood, he's made us who are far away and he's brought us near. We're close. And that's not a one-time promise. That's for all time promise. Every time that we drift and every time that we walk away and every time that we fall into different behaviors and, and lifestyles and habits and we feel far away and we say, I'm just gonna go, I'm gonna walk away, I'm done. Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Listen. Here's the glorious Christmas truth of Advent. We feel like God is somewhere up in the heavens. We feel like God is somewhere far away. We feel like God is distant and uncaring. And here's the reality. The people were waiting for God to come and God himself showed up in a manger. He put on human form and he lived on this earth with his people. He came near. God came near. God came near so we can come near to him. Here's what he means. He's brought us near. There's no longer any distance between us and God. There's no gap. There's no chasm. There's no wall. We've been brought near. He's welcomed us in 
He closed the gap. And I'm thankful he did because I don't know about you. Have you ever tried to close the gap between you and God? You ever tried to pray enough, do enough good works, show up at church enough, give enough money, serve enough? You ever tried enough? What happens? It's never enough. So God did what we couldn't do. He closed the gap for us. You've been brought near. Not only have you been brought near, but he has broken down the dividing wall that separates us from God and separates us from each other. Look at what it says. Verse 14, he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Jesus did this amazing and wonderful thing when he came and his first coming was that we got to celebrate the fact that God became flesh, that God walked among us, that God lived a sinless and perfect life for us. And the moment that he died on the cross, something powerful happened that never happened before. The Jews understood this powerfully. Every time that they went to the temple, there was this stark reminder they could never be in the presence of God. They would go to the temple and there was this huge curtain in the temple. It was feet thick. Feet. I mean, this thing was huge. And it was huge up and it's huge thick. And this barrier stood between them and God. And they had a barrier where they had to go to priests and offer sacrifices and all these kind of things. And it just felt like they were separated from God. And then Jesus broke the wall. When you read in the accounts of Christ dying on the cross, there's this powerful account as he gave up his last breath, as he says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. It says the veil, the curtain and the temple tore top to bottom. It tore and it fell open, revealing the presence of God had been opened to his people. He tore the veil. He made a way. In his death, Jesus broke down the wall that separated us from God, and that's our sin. God wasn't separating himself because he wants to be distant. God was separating himself because a holy God cannot only be the presence of sinners for their safety, not his. And so Jesus broke down the wall. He tore the veil. He satisfied the requirements that allows us to enter into the presence of God. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.16, let us approach the throne of grace boldly. Why? Not because we have any merit, but because Christ tore the veil. Now, I told you that vertical peace always ends up with horizontal peace, and here's what happens. As Christ tore the veil spiritually, he also broke down the wall that divides us. Now, Paul's using a very clear example here in the Jewish temple. There was a wall called the Gentile wall, and the Gentiles could not cross that into the temple or they would defile it. 
So you had the inner sanction where only the high priest could go, the, the Holy of Holies, he could go one time a year with the curtain in front of it. And then there was the outer temple there where they would serve, the priests would serve. And then there was the, the men's area where only the men could be. And then there's the Jewish women's area where they, only they could be. And then in the very, very back, there was a wall that separated people who wanted to convert from other nations because they couldn't come. And Jesus broke down that wall. Here's the wonderful news that we need to be shouting from the rooftops that only Christianity has. Because we have been made at peace, because we have been brought near, because the wall has fallen between us and God, now everything that keeps us separated and segregated as humans is now gone. It's now gone. In a minute, we're gonna dive into this a little bit more, but here's what happens. There's no longer black, white, yellow, green, purple. There's just children of God. We are adopted into a family and we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter how much or little you make. Doesn't matter what's going on in your life. What happens is Jesus breaks down the wall, allows us to come in, and then he tears down all the things that separate us. He breaks the wall. Then it says he puts to death enmity. Enmity is such a great word and we don't use it. Enmity is deep-seated hatred and resentment. It is boiling, boiling resentment. And Paul uses this so many times in his epistles and he talks about that's how our relationship with God was before we became a believer. We had enmity toward God. And he talks about it here in verse 14 or 15, by abolishing his flesh, the enmity. Verse 16, by having put to death the enmity. Listen, the only reason you can love God today is because Christ crucified your hatred and your rebellion against God. That's the only reason you can love him. It's not because you're more holy than somebody else. It's not because you understand more than anybody else. It's because Christ crucified, Christ put to death the enmity that you had toward God. He destroyed it. He has put to death enmity. And I wanna say this because it's a reminder to me and it's a reminder to us. Do you realize that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and he has killed the enmity that's in you, there is no reason for you to be angry or mad anymore? No reason. It's kind of like when you're talking to a child and they're just mad for no reason. You ever had that wonderful scenario? Everything's going fine. We're having a wonderful day. It's great. And then some minuscule little thing happens and toddler explosion. And now they're angry. And I want to ruin everything. And I want to make everything horrible and terrible because I'm mad. Why are you mad? I don't know. I just am. Listen, many of us act the same way. We walk around angry. We walk around frustrated. We walk around with hatred. And when someone says why, we say, we don't know. Oh, we make up really good excuses. But that's really all they are. He has put to death the enmity. 
We have no good reason to be mad at anything. How can you be mad when God himself has closed the distance, when God himself has broken down the wall, when God himself shed his blood for your sin, when God himself has brought you near and made you new, how can you be angry? How will we treat someone if they won $80 million in the lottery and walked around and complaining about stuff all the time? What will we say to them? You're ungrateful. I think you, I think you need to look at your bank balance before you start complaining. Christian, you need to go look in the bank of your debt and see a zero balance. See a zero balance. And see that you have been given and lavished the overwhelming spiritual blessings of forgiveness with Jesus Christ. He is our peace. He has made us one. Verse 15, he's abolished in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. I love that. Paul uses a kind of convoluted phrase here to express a simple thought. Jesus has fulfilled the law for us. And so he tells the Jewish folks, listen, all that nonsense about circumcision and covenants and all that kind of stuff that you're trying to put on the Gentiles, stop because Jesus fulfilled that all. Oh, by the way, Jews, you didn't keep it either. You may have been circumcised. You may have been ethnically Jew, but you didn't live by the promises of God. You didn't keep the statutes and commands. You remember every time that you went into captivity? What was that for? Jesus satisfied the righteous requirements of the law so that nobody, nobody can condemn us any longer. And by doing that, he's made us one. He's declared peace because we're family. Now, before you roll your eyes, let me tell you, I understand that family is a difficult illustration for us, isn't it? I had a professor that used to say, when you got family, you got problems. <laughs> and all the class said, amen. We all understand dysfunctional families. We all got one. But God's family isn't that way. God's family is not supposed to be that way. What God does is very different than what the world does. God brings this one new man. One new man built on the cornerstone of Jesus. He does this very bold move. Now listen, it wasn't uncommon in those times and even up through the Middle Ages and even in some places in the world now that when you have two nations that are at odds with each other, they think, hey, the best way to settle this is let's just intermarry. I'll take your daughter or I'll give you my son and we're gonna marry and now we're family and we're not gonna fight. Well, that doesn't work, does it? And that's not what God did. God didn't say, okay, Jews, take the Gentiles, Gentiles take the Jews and let's just all be happy and forget it. No. 
God tears down everything that kept them apart because he makes them something new. He makes them a spiritual house built on the cornerstone of Jesus. He makes them a new man. He makes us a new creation. He makes us new people in a new family. In fact, here's what happens. When we walk across that threshold and we become a new believer in Christ, we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and all the things that he does for us in that moment, we leave everything behind. We leave our race, we leave our country, we leave our traditions, we leave our beliefs, we leave everything behind for something new. And the something new is being adopted in the family of God, becoming a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, becoming a brother and sister to every person who names the name of Jesus. So it's ridiculous when we as the church hold on to all those things, when we hold on to our culture, when we hold on to our citizenship, when we hold on to all these things and allow it to separate us, because God has called us into something new. He's called us into peace. And peace is only found in this new identity built on the cornerstone of Jesus. And I love this. In verse 16, he says that he might reconcile them both in one body to God through his cross. If you were ever to think that God isn't serious about this, if you were ever to think that this isn't something that needs to be high priority in your Christian life, God wants you to show, God wants to show you how far he's willing to go to make this happen. He's willing to die on the cross to ensure that we have a new identity built on Jesus. And he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. He gives us this new identity into this new nation and he tells us we're new citizens and so look at what he says in verse 19. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Because we have been given peace, he's given us the ministry to go give peace to other people. You're not a stranger, you're not an alien. You're not an outsider, you're a child. You're an ambassador of peace. And you say, well, I don't remember getting elected to do that. Oh, but you did. The moment that you asked Jesus to come into your heart and be your peace, when he set up his kingdom inside of you, that's when you got confirmed to be his ambassador. He says, go be an ambassador. Be a holy temple. Verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also you're being built together in a dwelling of God in the spirit. This new identity that we've been given 
is that we are all one in God's family. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We have been given this ability to go and be an ambassador for God, but mostly here's the wonderful thing. And we need to never forget this. This building that we sit in is not the church. You are. You are. I am. We are a holy temple. We are a holy temple. Now, when we come together as God's people, God is there in the midst of us, but we need to never forget the building may fall. The building may burn. We may outgrow the building, but we will never stop being the church. God's plan is for you to be the church, to be the church in your family, to be the church where you work, to be the church in our city, in our state, and in our world. And you do that because you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's the cool thing. We cannot be the church without each other. Can't do it. People tell me all the time, I don't need to go to church to have a relationship with God. You're right. But the church will never be what God created it to be if you don't. We need you. God has placed you here for a reason. He's given you his spirit for a reason. And that reason is for us to be the church. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and to those who are near. Listen, Jesus is preaching peace to you today. In fact, every time you read his word, every time that you pray, every time that you hear a sermon or a Bible study, Jesus is there preaching. In fact, even when those things aren't happening, he's preaching to you every moment. And he's preaching peace. So here's the question that he's asking you today. Are you fine? Or are you at peace? Two totally different things. Are you fine? Or are you at peace? He's also telling us to be a peacemaker. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Are you a peacemaker? He wants you to be an ambassador of peace, to go into the world. Second Corinthians 5 tells us that we've been called to go with the ministry of reconciliation. And here's our ministry, to go to people and say, be reconciled to God. Be at peace with God because God has made peace with you. We are to speak peace to those who are far off and those who are near. You know, there was something I struggled with for a long time as I was starting out my Christian walk. And even today, I still struggle with this. It's hard when someone comes to you and begins to share something with you that goes against what you think or what you're doing, especially when it's something that you really, really want to do. And I, and I remember having times where Christian friends and Sunday school teachers and mentors would come to me and say, Michael, Listen, 
I know that you think what you're doing is right. I know that you think what you're doing is good, but have you really looked at what God says? And I would always say yes. And the reality was no. Because I didn't want to see what God had to say. Because I didn't want God to disagree with me. And so what would happen is I would reject a lot of that counsel because who do you think you are and how dare you? Well, what predicament will we be in if Jesus didn't come to us and offend us with his message of peace? See, we don't think Jesus' message of peace is offensive because we've received it and we have benefited from it. And it's hard to remember back before we were believers in Jesus when that message was offensive. You're a sinner? No, I'm not. I'm a good person. You don't follow God's commands. No, I do everything. Like the rich young ruler, I've kept them all since I was a kid. You can't save yourself. Oh, I can't. I'll be good. All my good works will outweigh my bad works. The only hope for you is in Christ alone. Oh, God can't be that narrow-minded. There's got to be more ways than Jesus. Please listen to this and spare yourself a lot of hurt and pain that I didn't spare myself from. When someone comes to you in genuine loving concern and speaks peace to you, God's word, listen. Listen. Even if it hurts. And listen, I had that happen recently. I had a friend here in the church come to me and say, hey, there's something that you did that wasn't right and I need to tell you about that. And my natural inclination, and I started to feel it and had to deal with it was, I don't really think you should be talking to me this way. But I listened. And you know what happened? The most amazing thing happened. I got to look them in the eye and apologize. And I got to take care of it. That's, that's what happened. Speak peace. Be the one to care enough to go and speak peace in someone's life and be big enough to allow someone to speak peace into your life. And seek peace and live at peace as far as it depends on you. I love that in Romans twelve eighteen. Live at peace with all men as far as it depends on you. We need to seek peace. Now I want you to notice, and this is, again, because I love words. It doesn't say live in peace. It says live at peace. And you think, okay, Michael, this isn't a grammar lesson. Who cares? It's a big deal. Living in peace means that we're in harmony together. We agree together. We have done everything to make things right together. And how hard is that in relationships? Sometimes the people that we want to live in peace with don't want peace with us. And so here's what he says, live at peace. And you can live at peace as it depends on you. If you've done everything you need to do to pursue peace, if they will not allow it, guess what? You can still live at peace. So Jesus is speaking. And his question for you today is this, are you fine? Are you at peace? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have this hope anchored for us, this peace. It's sure, it's settled, 
it's fixed. It can never be changed or altered in any way. But God, we, we need to take that vertical piece and allow it to spread horizontally to every relationship, every facet of our life. And so Father, if there's places in our life that we're not at peace, help us today. Help us today to hear the words of peace that you've spoken and respond to them. We ask it now in Jesus' name, amen.